2: Welcome to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Uh, today, Dave is sick under the weather. So it's just going to be me. But we have a guest today. His name is Kenny Robinson. And I'm really excited to have him on. Kenny's a full-time diversified investor. Um, you might have heard about him from his YouTube channel called the Kenny Robinson channel. And he's got a lot of cool things. I've, I've checked out several of his videos. I'm really excited um, to get perspective, particularly uh, around dividends and, and dividend ETFs. Uh, if you've been listening to the show any length of time, you know how excited I get about dividends. And I think we can have a really fun conversation. So Kenny, uh, thanks for coming on and joining us today.
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to be here on the podcast. And uh, hopefully we can uh, definitely talk about some excellent ETFs and, and dividends in general. So yeah, let's let's do it.
2: All right, let's start. Um, you you know you are a full-time diversified investor. So, what does that mean to you? I, I know um, we talked a little bit off the air, and you said you do some investing outside of dividend ETFs. So, uh, what does that mean as far as the whole circle of kind of what you do with your investments?
3: That's a great question. So, uh, the the core of my portfolio, so to speak, my overall asset base. A lot of it is publicly traded, meaning, you know, in, in the public markets, the stock market and bond market, dividend ETFs. But as a true diversified investor, I also think it's important to have a portion of your net worth outside of the public markets in private placements. Um, you know, regulation D type of private real estate investment trusts, as well as I also buy and sell physical real estate in person. Uh, so there's, there's several different things that I do that bring me that type of passive income, uh, different LLCs and businesses, but the lion's share is publicly traded. So I, I think it's important. It helps me sleep at night personally, right? Everyone's a little bit different, but I think if someone has a diversified pool of assets, that's, you know, generating income for them, uh, not only uh, via the stock market, but also uh, private placements and, and. Real estate, for example, that's a very, very good example, where uh, the, the whole keyword with uh, diversification is also uh, uncorrelated, right? You don't want all your eggs in one basket, so to speak. Um, so not only does that mean buying different stocks within the stock market, but also deriving some uh, passive income from, <clears throat> excuse me, assets outside of the public market. Uh, so not only is asset allocation uh, important, but I truly bl- uh, believe in asset location as well. Um, so, so I would say in a nutshell, that's, that's really what I refer to when I say diversified.
2: That topic, um, uncorrelated, that's something we haven't touched on yet. And that's really, really key. So for somebody who's an absolute beginner, can you explain what that means as far as finding assets that are uncorrelated and how that can help your diversification?
3: Excellent. Excellent question. So um, let's let's go at it from, um, you know, step number one, baby steps with with uncorrelated. So, for example, when we talk about, you know, all of us, you and I and all of our listeners we're either investors or, you know, we're listening to this podcast to become investors. Well, when we talk about diversification and the old uh, adage, you don't want all your eggs in one basket. Well, when you're placing your eggs in different baskets, uh, when we use the term uncorrelated, uh, for example, you you might uh, have a tech investment like Microsoft or Apple. Well, if that specific sector, right, that specific part of the economy takes a hit, right, a crash. Or a good example is uh, 2008. We had the financial crisis with the uh, credit crunch with mortgages. So if all your investments are correlated to the real estate market or mortgages or banks, the entire value of your overall portfolio is subject uh, to a lot more risk. Then really it should be. So when you have uncorrelated assets, meaning things that don't necessarily move in relation to real estate, for example, maybe uh, a water utility, right? People need water whether the economy is in the dumps or uh, or a bull market. So y- you want to make sure you spread out your investments and have investments that are uncorrelated, right? Um, utilities are an example to real estate or or tech or uh, healthcare, right? If you have all your investments in healthcare you want to make sure that you pick something that's uncorrelated from healthcare, such as real estate. So that's really, it's it's a fancy word, but really it just means that you want to have your money spread out, not only diversified in different companies, but companies that don't necessarily um, have any business relation within that same sector.
2: So you mentioned real estate and the stock market. I think something that because it's so recent, we had the the 2008 financial crisis, like you said, and it happened to coincide with the real estate bubble popping. But right. historically, I don't think you know. I'm no expert, but I don't think historically that real estate returns and stock market returns have necessarily been correlated. In fact, I think that can be. Uh, you mentioned some good examples with healthcare and utilities, but I think just in general real estate can be a good exposure that's uncorrelated to the stock market just because you know you could have an asset you can have an asset bubble in the stock market and not necessarily have one in real estate and so they can kind of counterbalance in a way. Does that sound somewhat correct?
3: Yeah. No, and I think you hit the nail on the head and, and what newer investors have to realize is uh, for example, you know, there's many different ways to invest in real estate. Uh, we can go through a different, you know, a few different ones. So yeah, please. You, you, you can buy, you can buy a home and, and, uh, rent it out in your, you know, in the same neighborhood or city that you live in, right? That's a physical investment that you're buying that you see every day and you manage. Um, you can also invest into, uh private REITs and REIT is just an acronym for real estate investment trust. It's just a pool of real estate um, that's not traded on the market. Uh, so you can invest in that. And then you can also invest in real estate through the stock market, right? And so what's interesting when we talk about you know different things being uncorrelated and you're right, historically real estate has generally been fairly stable and uncorrelated to market crashes. But with that being said, and so, you know, an example of that is you own a rental home in your own uh, city or community and, you know, whether the market crashes or not, you're probably still going to receive rental income and the value of the home isn't going to necessarily drop with the stock market. So a rental home in your home city is uncorrelated from the stock market. But if you were to buy a real estate stock in the stock market and we had a major crash, even though that real estate company or the real estate that that company owns isn't necessarily you know in in hot water or doing poorly simply because that company is traded on the stock market and if all the broad indices are in, and and everything is crashing with that you know those va- you know the value of that real estate specifically that traded instrument the stock the share of stock is correlated by default because it is traded and so when we talk about uh, uncorrelated. I, you know, basically, what I'm saying is, I'm glad you brought that up because sometimes people say, "Well, I own real, you know, I own real estate stock, and that's uncorrelated from the general stock market." Well, it's not just because you own real estate. You want to make sure you own the right type of real estate that's uncorrelated from a market crash. Because in a big crash like '08, and some of our listeners maybe younger really haven't seen the charts on that. It really didn't matter what you owned. For the most part, everything went down. Um, even if it had great fundamental, you know, balance sheets, basically, you know, fundamental numbers, meaning even if it was a solid company, the share price still took a beating. Um, so you, you have to be careful. Uh, I guess, you know, newer investors when, when you want to make sure your assets are uncorrelated, just because it's real estate in the stock market doesn't mean that it won't go down.
2: Yeah. Thank you for making that clarification. I think it's an important one. So while we're on the topic of real estate. I always play devil's advocate whenever it comes to kind of new ideas that we're presenting. So we want to hear the positives and the negatives to anything. So as a beginner, somebody who maybe is interested and you know, whether that's private real estate that you manage in your own town or it's a REIT, you mentioned REITs that aren't traded in the stock market. What are some of the things that new beginners would um, try not to fall into the type of things that that a lot of them get stuck with
3: so i think a lot of um newer investors if if they want to dip their toes into the real estate game is um they they find one book or one teacher or one expert in the field right And they um, only learn from that one expert. So, you know, there's a million and one different real estate, very successful, very smart, very honest and and good real estate uh, investors out there. But everyone has a little bit of a different method. And so what I always tell people, and really this applies to all types of investing, before you place your dollar in harm's way, right, risk, which that's a four letter word, but it doesn't mean it's bad. But before you do that, um, I always say, you know, you, you really need to go out and speak to several different people that are doing something, um, that, that you're interested in doing and say, Hey, what are your mistakes? Um, kind of like what you're doing now. You're listening to this podcast thinking, okay, I'd, I'd like to invest in the stock market. I'm also in- interested in real estate. Um, but, but the biggest thing is always always under undershoot your estimated returns right if if you're buying a rental you say well I could rent it out for this much a lot of times people forget to take into account well the roof is 10 years old and you know roofing usually lasts about 20 25 years so what do i need to put away each month now to be able to pay for a brand new roof in 15 years from now or uh, what do i need to set aside for vacancies and all sorts of different things that come up eviction costs uh, attorneys and, and uh, water lines that break that your insurance uh, won't cover, right? Uh, so there's many different things. If if uh, you think it seems easy and glamorous and a lot of people make it seem that way, there's a lot of work that goes into it. So I always say before you put your dollar, your hard-earned dollar in harm's way, you really have to perform, and you'll learn, you'll probably hear me say this a lot during the podcast, perform due diligence. Make sure it's a suitable investment for the amount of risk that you're taking on. So, so there's several different keys that we can get, you know, dial right down into, but that would be the biggest thing. Make sure you do a wealth of research. I always say, don't, don't, uh, you know, don't just try one Kool Aid, try them all, right? Don't listen to one guru, really listen to all, all different types of people. Find people in your local area, you know, find local real estate investors. And, and, uh, most of the time, what you'll find is 99 out of 100 real estate investors, um, successful ones will be happy. To help and mentor, you know, as long as they have the time, um, every once in a while, you'll find someone that wants to be secretive or, or really doesn't want to help. But, um, for, for the most part, there's a lot of smart, good, successful real estate investors out there that can really help give you some, uh, some tips and pointers.
2: Yeah, those are, those are excellent. Like you said, it applies to general investing as well. You want to gather as, as much information as you can. I was, I was telling that to, to my mom actually today. Um, she's talking about Annuities and stuff, and I said, make sure you're you're getting, you know, as many different opinions on it as you can, and and not just listening to one. I think that applies whether you're talking about insurance, real estate, stock market, bonds, passive income, exactly. all those sorts of things. Exactly,
3: exactly. And I, it's funny you mentioned the the a word annuity, <laughs> and I, I don't want to go off on a rant here, but it's very very interesting. So annuities, I I, I love this analogy for annuities. And for, for those listeners that aren't quite familiar with annuities, essentially annuity, uh, there's, there's many annuity companies out there, but basically, and, and again, there's different types of annuities, but very, very, uh, broad generalization of annuities is, um, say you have $100,000 and you want, uh, regardless of what the stock market or the economy does, you want guaranteed income or maybe you want some tax deferral. So you, you, you place $100,000 in this product, right? We'll call it a product. And that company, the annuity company, will guarantee you um, income for life or, you know, there's many different bells and whistles. Um, so they're good for a lot of people, uh, but some people they're not good for. So what I like to say is because there's a lot of hard line people out there saying annuities are the best thing since sliced bread. And then on the other side of the coin, people say, you know, stay away from annuities no matter what. Well, the, the truth of the matter is with annuities, and I know this is investing for beginners, so I'll be short with this annuity uh, analogy, but um, annuities can be life-changing for the right. It's all about suit- suitability for the right person, and annuity can be can truly be the best thing since sliced bread. Uh, so annuities are like a Swiss army knife. They have this feature, they have that feature, they're handy for this, they're handy for that, but if you're not careful, you can cut yourself. Um, so, if you get the right annuity, and I just want to make this clear to everyone, if you get the right annuity for the right situation, there can, there's nothing better than that. Um, but depending on your other financial, uh, uh, depending on for someone else, annuity is not the right choice. So, you hear a lot about annuities as a retirement term, and people say, oh, well, my neighbor did this, and he loves that annuity. And that, but my other neighbor on this side, uh, this side of me says he hates the annuity. Well you know, there's many different factors. So just like uh, Andrew just said, with anything, always do your research, especially with annuities, because there's a lot of confusion, but there is some killer, killer annuities out there. Um, so yeah, it's funny you brought that up, because I, I hear that a lot. So
2: I'm glad you mentioned the A word is annuities and not Andrew, because that would have told There we go. The
3: yeah, there we go. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> when it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial.
3: All right. So
2: uh, do you have an annuity, by the way?
3: Um, You know, so I I don't have an annuity. Annuities are generally, now there are some for, um, I I don't want to call myself too young, but generally speaking, annuities, uh, the, the types that we're talking about where you save up a nest egg and place it in an annuity, those are for people generally about 50 years of age plus, maybe 40 plus. Um, but really a lot of things can be considered an annuity, like a 403B plan. If there's any educators or, or teachers listening to this, if, if you're a public school teacher, you probably have what's called a 403B account. It's kind of like a 401k, except uh, in the public space. So that's technically considered an annuity. Um, but the annuities that we're, we're referencing in general, uh, for, for tonight's episode is really the type of annuity when you reach the doorstep of retirement right? Average age of 65. You take a slice of your liquid money, right? Like a 25% of your 401k and you roll that into an annuity, which is going to pay you income for life. Um, so at this point, I don't uh, just because at this point, I'm still in the growth stage. Uh, but eventually I will definitely be uh, placing some of my assets inside an annuity, a good one. Um, but there's so there's a lot of good ones out there and there's some bad ones out there. And if there's anyone listening to this that's at that age on the doorstep of retirement, and you have some annuities, um, don't you know? Don't don't jump into them thinking they're gonna you know save you, but also don't be scared of them. There's some excellent ones out there. And what I suggest is meeting with several different financial licensed financial advisors or licensed insurance brokers that sell those, and just really meet with them and say you know, is this suitable for me? Because uh, there's some excellent ones out there. But yeah, especially
2: if it's tax you know, uh, like a tax shelter, tax preferences. or
3: Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's similar to IRAs and and 401ks where you continue the tax deferral, uh, which is really, or you can place, you know, just regular taxable money in there and it grows tax deferred. So uh, the, yeah, I'll get off my soapbox about it. But the the biggest confusion with annuities is people say, Oh man, uh, you know, the, the person that put me in this annuity told me it was a a five-star annuity. And I say, well, it, it depends on what your needs are, right? If you're a family man with three kids and, uh, you know, a Ferrari is a five-star car, but it's an unsuitable car for your situation, right? It's a terrible car for your si-. So, of course, you hate it. So, a lot of the confusion with annuities is the fact that people might – the the annuity itself is awesome. Right, but people just placed themselves or got placed into the wrong annuity for their needs. That's the biggest confusion. So um, it's it's actually that that uh, you guys are doing research on that. I
2: like the analogy between the Ferrari and and a, a guy who's got kids and, and like a Ferrari. yeah,
3: you know, he he would need like an SUV or you know, right. or you know, if if you're a, a hunter in Alaska where it snows all the time. Yeah, Ferrari is a five-star car, but it is the worst possible product for your needs, right? Uh, so that's the biggest, biggest uh, misco- you know, uh, miscommunication, I guess I would say, with with annuities as you see these people. And uh, then I look at the annuity and I say, this is an excellent annuity. It's very efficient, low cost. Look at all these different guarantees. Uh, but yeah, of course you don't like it because you placed your entire liquid nest egg in it. So of course, yeah, if you lock all your money up, that's not good. Um so you know an annuity is great for a slice of your overall portfolio.
2: That's a good distinction.
1: Hey you. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it.
2: So you me- you mentioned this I didn't but you know feel free if if it's too personal. You sound like a young, you know, pretty young guy. Um, you're in the growth stage, I'm in the growth stage as far as investments. Uh, and you are full time already. So how, how did you get there? Or um, what was like your general journey? Or we can just skip and go to the next topic if you'd like.
3: Yeah, you know, no, no problem. I always think, you know, when uh, when people are public about, uh, you know, money and different investments and, and what they do, and if I present myself in the public space. I think it's important to be able to tell people exactly where I came from and and how I did it and and everything like that. So if anything, please cut me off because I I don't want to ramble on. Um, But, but yeah, you know, I would say I'm, I'm I'm, uh, a little bit under middle aged, right. I'm, I'm closing in on, on the uh, last year of my twenties, which has been such a whirlwind, but um, yeah, I'm in a good spot (laughs) now.
2: Good thing Dave's not on because he would get really upset that you said that middle aged.
3: (laughs) Middle aged, yeah. So under <laughs> middle aged, the, the last under, year. under middle aged, <laughs> uh, yeah. So keyword there. I'm, I'm I'm not quite middle aged, but um, <laughs> no. You know what's interesting is I I uh, I think the best time in well everyone has a different opinion, but uh, the the best time in life is yet to come. Um, but but for those of you that are listening that are that are younger than me or even around my same age or I guess it doesn't really matter. Um, my my story is. Uh, I grew up in a in a single parent household, and 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 just so I start off like that, and people say, "Oh, here we go, rags to riches." It's it's not really like that, uh, but I it, really where I am now is is a culmination of of things from early childhood that triggered events all the way up through you know my entire uh, uh, you know decade of of twenties. Uh, so, interestingly, my my father, my biological father, started a uh, software company in the '80s, and uh, for, for for all intents and purposes, it was essentially what we can do today in five minutes. So it would have been obsolete in today's standards, but what it was was a uh, a software company or a, a piece of software that uh, gave uh, companies the ability to um, say, okay, Microsoft, I have all these pallets of DOS operating system hardware that I'd like to ship to this place and this place and this place. Well, my father's software would say, okay, you can fly it here. It'll get here on this day for this much here's all your different options here's the most expensive here's the cheapest here's you know so give them all different sorts of shipping options which when i uh, say that in today's world people say yeah ebay does that i can go to fedex.com i can you know but in the 80s it was really unheard of unless unless you called up a, a freight broker um so that was very interesting so in my early years what i was born into was um you know, a lot of material items, a lot of different, um, you know, excess, so to speak, uh, I think to anyone's standards, you know, full size pool, uh, in the backyard, water, all sorts of stuff, you know, brand new home, uh, a- anything we wanted. Um, but what, uh, what, what happened when I was, you know, I'd say six, maybe going on seven is, you know, my, my, my parents got a divorce. And uh, by this time, it's uh, early 90s, late or mid, early to mid 90s. And uh, it was interesting. So uh, unfortunately, my, my, my father really was focused on on one thing, which was money. Um, And so what's funny is I I talk about investing in money and everything today in my daily life, and people think, you know, that I'm obsessed, but really, um, money is a very, very powerful tool. And it can be, you know, the one of the best things in your life, but you have to be careful with with how you approach it, and so what I learned basically from my father is what what not to do. Uh, but he prioritized wealth and money over everything else, including his wife and his children. And so um, uh, my mother, interestingly enough, is the exact opposite. Right? Um, she uh, she money is important, but family and everything else is obviously you know more important, which most all of us agree with. And um, so in in my father's pursuit of taking over the world he started to, you know, disregard laws and, you know, his ethics were challenged in, in daily life and uh, he just wanted to make more and spend more. Everything was material, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, it's fun as a, as a child, but what my mom started doing because it was agreed that she would be the homemaker and he would bring home all the bacon, which is, he was good at. Um, my mother's the exact opposite. She's not a massive risk taker. She's very by the book, ethics, morals, laws. And so, you know, she'd be doing laundry. And she would just pull wads of cash out of my father's pockets you know that he just didn't account for it money was water to him through his fingers so she would peel off you know one two three hundred dollars at a time um out of his pockets and put it in a shoebox in the closet thinking well gosh he doesn't save he just spends and makes and you know you know basically what she was forecasting was at some point in the future the music's going to stop this high-flying lifestyle the 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 some of the stuff my father was getting into in business and law and 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 taxes and just different things that he wasn't doing that wasn't kosher. Um, so my mom, thank thank goodness, um, she was saving some of the money, which was family money, right? Um, and and um, so at, when the divorce went through, um, he was really uh, adamant on not having to 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 do anything essentially. So no child support. So long story short, I was raised by my mother for for many many years and uh, she went back to work luckily she she has several different skill sets so she was able to keep a roof over our head but i i went from having everything in the world anything probably too much um to basically saying hey we have this can of tuna we're gonna all split it and uh my mother did as best you know as best she could and uh you know we had to uh stay at home sometimes we get home she couldn't afford a babysitter so there's a lot of you know a lot of lack of parental supervision. But um, Eventually, I, uh, at age 14 and a half, I, I got my first official job, first W-2 earned income. And for those of you that have seen my YouTube channel, I actually did a video about that. But my first ever job was, um, for, I was 14 and a half. I got, uh, hired on at McDonald's. And, uh, that was at a point where, you know, the last six, seven years, I was used to basically spending for myself, right? My mother would provide a roof over my head and food, but we really didn't do much else. Um, and also during around that same period, I got that job. My mother remarried her, uh, college sweetheart, which, you know, was very opposite of my, my biological father, very hard, honest working man. So with that, in my early teen years, with my job and, and, and my, my mother and my stepfather, I was really in an atmosphere of, hey, you, you, you go to work, you earn, you, you set some money aside, you know, you, uh, you, you know, you just keep charging forward and, and you'll, uh, you'll achieve success. And so, as I, uh, as I got to uh, my senior year of high school, um, you know, I, I always paid for all my clothes, my own vehicles, and, and, and set a little bit of money aside. And In fact, my first investment was the uh, TIAA CREF Equity Index Mutual Fund. I didn't know what it was at the time that I bought it, but uh, that was one of my first ever uh, stock market investments. And uh, my parents made it clear to me in my senior year of high school that um, if I wanted to continue to live under their roof, that's fine, but I either had to be going to college or I had to be um developing a skill or working in some sort of industry or some sort of job that uh, I could climb the ladder right it's uh they they weren't going to allow me to graduate and then just go you know deliver pizzas and and kind of hang out at, at their house and so they made it clear that once you graduate you're welcome to stay here, but you you have to be doing something productive or, or whether it's college or, or learning a, a valuable skill um so as at 18, as, as most of us at that one point in time, we, we have the world figured out. And so, of course, I didn't listen to them and I, I joined the Marines and I figured, well, if I want to go to school, I can have it paid for because, you know, they weren't really going to pay for my, my schooling. And by this point, you know, and I, and I should say a little side detail by that point, by the time I graduated, my, my parents could easily pay for my schooling and and they actually, you know, both of them were disciplined savers, but it's more of a, a principal type of thing. They'll loan me money at an interest rate. Uh, not to make money, but purely just to make sure that uh, I'm a capable individual entering the uh, entering adulthood. But uh, so I joined the Marines and I traveled around the world. I figured, man, I I, I wanted my cake and to eat it too. So I, I joined the Marine Reserves, thinking, okay, well, I'll go uh, play the Marine gig for a little bit, but I'll be home uh, for the most part, and I can still, you know, chase women and, and go to college and. Well, that was the time when a lot of uh, Iraq and Afghanistan was heating up, so I wasn't really home a lot from age 19 till about 22. Um, I was gone, Afghanistan, uh, Africa several times, Romania, Germany, uh, Kurdistan, you name it. And so I I learned a lot of, you know, I I went through a lot in that stage of my life as far as like, you know, uh, toughness, I guess for an easy word. And uh, I didn't have a lot of bills, so I, I saved a lot of money. And I spent a lot of money as well, but about four to 5,000 made it into an S&P 500 index fund, um, which, which was nice. And, um, one thing that I did immediately upon getting home and and really finishing up my uh, obligation in the uh, military was I purchased my first home with a VA home loan. So nothing down, right? For those of you that are familiar. And that was, I believe I had just turned 22. Um, so this is about, uh, yeah, going on eight, nine years ago. And immediately at that age, I was, I was ready. I was done with the military, ready to, um, you know, live life, go to school, enjoy things and, and, and work and find a job. Well, all of my friends moved into my home with me and they were all paying me rent. And this wasn't a strat. It's, I, I could say this was a strategy, but it was really just me wanting, you know, all my friends to, to hang out, uh, you know, all in the same group and under the same roof. And, um, so all of them paid me rent. And so i uh started paying you know double triple my mortgage payment, and one day I did a calculation thinking whoa i i you know I'm basically paying my mortgage off at mortgage off at record pace because all the savings on interest, and you know there's it's debatable whether or not that's you know good or bad, and I actually have a video about that as well on my channel, but essentially, I was able to pay my um home off within six years, so I just paid it off a few years ago. And, uh, um, you know, just simple three bedroom, two bath home. And, and, and it sounds a lot nicer than it is, but really this is in, in a, uh, not a high populated state, uh, decent college town area. So I, I didn't pay a ton for the home. Some people are thinking, whoa, three bedroom, two bath, you know, it wasn't several hundred thousand dollars. It was pretty modest. And that's the home I still have today. Um, and so throughout my twenties, I, my first company was a, uh, detail company, automotive refinishing. I went out and got contracts all over the uh, area for, uh I would uh, get trade-ins from all the dealers, refurbish them, and then they would sell them. so I was making a lot of money doing that that was I was really good at cleaning after the marine Corps attention to detail and uh, so I, I was successful with that it was in fact, there's a few newspaper articles out there that you you can find of me being interviewed about that but um, what I learned from that is Hard work is good, but it's not always the best paying. And so I was w- working eight days a week essentially at, at that company, backbreaking work. And I figured, well, if I can be successful at this, I know I can do other things that may be less labor intensive and I'll have a couple days off. So I started a factoring company. And for those of you that are unfamiliar, familiar with factoring, invoice factoring is, um, I would essentially provide cash flow services for small to medium sized businesses. So, uh, if you're a small business and you have a product, for example, and um, someone uh, down the road orders, uh, say, you know, 5,000 units, well, you probably don't have the cash to buy 5,000 units to sell those 5,000 units, so we would provide that. Or if you were a service company and you went and did a bunch of service, uh, say landscaping, you did a $20,000 landscaping job for a company, well, that company probably isn't going to pay that invoice for 30 to 45 days. So you could give my company a copy of that invoice and I'll give you 97 cents on the dollar and then I'll collect, um, you know, that amount plus three or 4% 30 days. So I was making 3% on my money, um, every, every 30 days, every, every month essentially, which is insane returns if you compare that to the, to the stock market. So I did that quite a bit. Um, and then that really was it was good money, but it wasn't really exciting. And I was going to, uh, business school at the at the time. So I'm thinking, well, I love business, I love investing. Why don't I apply at this financial firm in my hometown and uh see if I can get a job doing something there? So I got hired on with the understanding that um I would uh do several of these business courses and, and get several licenses and everything to be able to, you know, help service clients at that firm. And that's when I really took a deep dive into um and this was at about age twenty five. So going on five years ago. I really took a deep dive into market investing and real estate investing. And um, so I really got a wide uh, a variety of investment knowledge from that job. Um, and then I was able to create a passive income for portfolio of publicly traded uh, instruments, as well as real estate here in my hometown that right now at this point in time, um provides me with enough income to cover my basic expenses keep in mind my my home is paid off my car is paid off um i I, you know i don't live in a mansion i don't drive a bentley i'm not uber rich right but i'm at a point where all my basic and what i mean by basic is i have a roof over my my head my utilities are paid my insurance is paid my gas my groceries right Uh, but if i want to do anything above that of course that's still where i need active income um, so obviously I do that cause I want to do more than sit in my home and, and have the water run. Um, but, but that's basically in a nutshell without going on for several hours where I'm at right now.
2: Yeah, I was kind of expecting you to, I was hoping you wouldn't, but I was expecting you to say something like, well, you know, I had this investment in the startup and now I'm a millionaire or whatever. So it was very no, refreshing God. actually to hear, I mean, you know, it's yeah. just, it's very, relatable you know like just hard work kind of prudence and and kind of plugging away every day and and being smart and saving that's really cool
3: i think there's uh, luck is a little bit to do with it you know uh, at an early age again i was lucky to to have at least my mother in my life to say hey put some money away um, she helped me purchase. I didn't even know what the, the equity index was when I bought it, but little things like that along the road. And then having a, a stepfather that I, I always didn't see eye to eye with, but at the end of the day, he's a good, honest man and, and, uh, him and my mother are still together and they're actually retiring here shortly. So, uh, yeah, I mean, just all around, I, I worked seven days a week to, you know, to be short about it. I worked seven days a week throughout my twenties. I still work quite a bit. In fact. Andrew and I were just talking about this, but um, seven days a week, my twenties, I always had in addition to the the detail shop and the factoring company and and my real estate investments, I've always had different side hustles. That and this is something you know for for younger listeners, if you're in your teens or, or even twenties and you're wanting to get ahead, I see a lot of and and again, it's not an attack on on you know people in general, but I see a lot of younger people having too much. I'll, I'll call it pride to not want to work fast food or not want to work a job that might be embarrassing like janitorial or or whatever it may be. But, you know, the people that you think matter in your life, um, certain peers and things like that, unless they unless they're paying your bills or they're helping you get to the next level, their opinion really should matter. And I know that's something that, you know, people at a certain age aren't really going to listen to. But to give you an idea, you know, I've I've worked uh, uh, night shifts as a janitor. Uh, as a side hustle I've I've worked I have pictures of this too because I knew one day that I wouldn't be doing this and I would want to share it Um, I have big I have pictures of in front of big industrial laundry machines at a two-star hotel that I worked the night shift that I had to clean all these dirty sheets anything to be able to set aside more money and get me to my end goal so it wasn't uh it wasn't a hookup from my parents it wasn't uh like Andrew just mentioned a a company I started that just shot to the moon it wasn't a, a lucky stock pick um, really anyone in America, if you're listening to this in America, we're especially lucky that we have all the opportunity in the world and, uh, some people take that for granted. So
2: preach on that. I love it. So I did promise at the very beginning, and I know we're running out of time here, but I promised at the beginning that we're going to talk about dividends. So just, you know, briefly how, how much of your income that's supporting your, your full-time, your full-time investing lifestyle, how much of that is coming from dividends and how are you achieving it?
3: So about 70 percent more than i'd like uh, i'd like to stay a little bit uh, less correlated to the markets but about 70 percent of my income now is coming from dividends and it's uh, a lot of it I, I do own individual stocks and i like them but a lot of it is through dividend etfs and that's an acronym for exchange traded funds and for those that are completely new all that means and it's kind of in the in the uh, in the name fund all that means is it's a basket of dividend paying stocks. so you put a dollar into this basket and it's spread out among anywhere from 50 to 2,000 different stocks, and it's it's a safety play, it's a diversification play too. You know where you know if I, I if I if I place money in this dividend ETF, if one of those stocks goes down the toilet, meaning fails, I really don't it doesn't change my lifestyle or my income uh, that abruptly. Um, so that's why I love uh, dividend ETFs as well as individual stocks. They're fun, but a lot of my income is is from ETFs and general dividends is it
2: something that i guess it's an obvious question right something that a beginner can look into and where how would you recommend if they wanted to look into kind of getting into deep dividend etfs how would they how would they go about it
3: so many different uh, brokerage platforms uh for example like td ameritrade if, if people like doing everything themselves td ameritrade has a good platform where they have commission free etfs um, but the, the the biggest thing is, I would say, when you're getting into dividend investing, and and I I wouldn't say I'm biased because I I hate to think that I'd be biased towards any investment. Uh, I should never get emotional about investments or money but um dividend investing has been proven time and time again way before i was you you know andrew and i were around that dividends create wealth over time um but diversified dividends are even better and so the way you can get into that is um take a look at uh, uh and and if you're listening to this write this down or replay it but take a look at uh dividend aristocrats right dividends that have increased their payouts a uh, minimum of 25 consecutive years or more um, those are called the dividend aristocrats, and there's an ETF out there. Um, NOBL is the ticker, Noble, and it tracks the dividend aristocrats, uh, index. But, um, even with ETFs, you don't want to own just one. You want to make sure you diversify. And the companies within the ETFs are, are global and, and different market cap and different industries and sectors. Um, but you can just start with one and then, and build on from that. But, the biggest thing is, even you know what Andrew and I tell you to do, always make sure you do additional research and make sure exactly you know you're taking full responsibility for for your portfolio. Um, I, I sometimes I talk to newer investors and they say, "Well, just tell me what to buy or, or what should I do?" And I can tell you all day long, but um, you, you need to make sure it's the right investment for you personally and your risk tolerance and your goals and your time horizon.
2: Yeah. Teach a man to fish versus, um, giving them a fish. So you mentioned education and that's perfect, right? We've talked, um, previously on the podcast about dividend aristocrats. You can go to episode 49 for that. We had Nick McCollum on from suredividend.com. I know you've got a ton of videos as well on your channel. Um, so tell us where we can check you out and, you know, tell us about a couple of videos you have related to if somebody wants to educate themselves on you know dividend ETFs or any other aspects of our conversation today give us like a snapshot of, of a title of a video you did and, and a little summary
3: yeah so if, if uh you're on youtube and and you just type in kenny robinson you'll you'll see my channel and i have uh, mostly dividend videos on there different dividend etfs uh for example you know re- retiring on reits or living on dividend stocks safely that's a key word. Um, so I can point out a few individual ones, but if you go to my video section, uh, there's a smorgasbord of dividend videos and then another one that people seem to like uh, that I get emailed about is um, you know saving fifty dollars per month changed my life and that's a good good one for beginning uh, investors to watch as well.
2: Excellent so yeah, definitely check that out. It's the Kenny Robinson channel. Kenny, uh, thanks for coming on. I really like so how I stumble on basically what you're doing is i was in a facebook group with you um and i saw who's this kenny guy and he was just asking these questions he was like hey everybody i'm about to make a video for beginners um what would you like to hear and what questions would you like answered so i really resonate with that i love this idea of answering people's questions because you know (laughs) every expert who talks about the stock market or investing, they don't remember what it's like to be an investor because they're so far past that. I'm definitely guilty of that too. So I think it's, it's so key to, to be able to ask people where they're at, what are you struggling with and help them out. So I know you made a video uh, based on that. I think you called it just investing for beginners. So I think that's yeah. a good resource too.
3: Investing for Beginners Part 1. And and keep in mind, it's literally what that is, is investing for beginners. So if someone is listening to this by chance, has never purchased a stock, or might not even be 100% sure on what a stock is, that video is for you. Uh, if you've been investing for a few years, it might be uh, redundant. But Investing for Beginners Part 1 on my channel is for someone that is a, a completely new to investing we start from the very very basic and so uh it's a series that i'll be continually uh progressing with and, and uploading cool man kenny thanks again thank you so much thanks for having me
2: that's going to do it for us tonight if you enjoyed our show you know you could check out the show notes uh all on investingforbeginners.com i'll have links set up i'll have dave set up some links to some of the videos that kenny talked about today hopefully you enjoyed this episode if you're enjoying the podcast be sure to leave a review i would appreciate that i love to see positive reviews or just feedback in general you can also email me so that all being said have a good week invest with a margin of safety emphasis on the safety and we'll talk to you next time
1: we hope you enjoyed this content